Okay, welcome to session ANT330-S. Going cloud first helps Hub International grow the business with Splunk on AWS. Hopefully everyone is recovered from their food coma. Um, but if you're not, don't worry, because what's more exciting than a successful cloud migration story? To wake you up a little bit, quick, question, quick show of hands, how many people are uh, running a completely smooth migration with no hiccups whatsoever? Yeah, that was a trick question. All right, so good, the good news is that Seth and Jeremy are here from Hub International to share their context and valuable insights on how we can do this. Uh, first, I'm going to set the stage a little bit and level set about Splunk. My name is Jay Lee from the Product Marketing Group. And uh, the first thing I'm just going to mention is that, you know, we have had a very strong relationship in place with AWS for uh, many years now. And it kind of spans everything from uh, product development to how we engage commercially, how we partner all up and down the stack. And so what we're going to talk a little bit about, about today, the assumption is that obviously you're familiar with, with AWS. You may or may not be familiar with Splunk. So I'm just going to provide a very quick overview before we dive into sort of the rest of the, the, case, the case study. Excuse me. So first, I just want to kind of get a sense for, let's, let's drill a little bit about you guys. Uh, so cloud migration, how many people are actually uh, about to kick off uh, a migration? OK, a few. How many are in the process of actually migrating? And then how many have recently sort of done, uh, finished up with sort of a, a major stage in a, in a migration? OK, so about, about, about half uh, are sort of in process and, and half. Um, and then how many people are looking at this as a hybrid problem versus, so, so how many people are just looking at it as a pure sort of, we're going we're gonna to go there and that's where we're going to end up without sort of worrying about the hybrid part, sort of a pure cloud deployment. Okay, so the assumption then is everyone else is worried about it from a hybrid standpoint. And how many, let me, let me take a quick show of hands, how many people are using more than uh, Let's do it this way. Less than three monitoring solutions to kind of keep abreast of what's happening during the migration. Less than five. Less than 10. Okay, I'm starting to see some hands. Um, more than 10, I guess. They're everyone, well, I'm not seeing any hands. Okay, so maybe you're not using any. Um, but, but, you know, the, 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 the thing that we're talking about here is all about that visibility. So, and then, um, the, the main thing I just want to drive home is that, you know, when you're going through the migration, we, we're not here to kind of pitch this piece. It's really just more about the idea of having a single place where you can look across hybrid as well as your, your cloud deployment, not only in terms of um, sort of resources and even sort of the service level, but also uh, everything from kind of how you do um, account management, you know, all, all these different, uh, you know, utilization and billing parameters, all that kind of stuff as well. And so this is where the partnership becomes so important because the number of integrations that we have um, that are you know, super deep as well. So it's, it's very much about staying on top of all the new features and capabilities that AWS uh, is releasing on a regular basis. This is already uh, outdated and uh, you know, top secret stuff I can't talk about that you'll hear about tomorrow, it'll be outdated yet again. So, um, but you know, the, the key is, again, that we try to make it as easy as possible for um, people to you know, leverage all the rich data coming out of their AWS environment so that you can look across, again, not only what you're doing in AWS, but um, sort of across the rest of your environment. So for those of you who have not used Splunk, let me just show hands who, who, who has actually 
uh, knows of Splunk or has used Splunk? Okay, so that's actually a lot of people. Um, how many are actually using it today? Okay, and how many are using it for your migration that you mentioned earlier? See, that's way too few. We're gonna get that number up. Okay, so the, the whole point is, again, that you, know, you, can, you can look at it as, what's the visibility? You know, how do I you treat the data as the visibility part? And then what are the analytics I can run on top of it to sort of make good decisions about what I need to do next? And then obviously, you know, um, tackle and execute uh, those steps. So our objective here is, you know, within your very complex environment, the end state is we have this visibility across um, all these different uh, resources and, you know, even across sort of the service level. And I'll, I'll go a little bit more into that. Um, so an example would be, you know, I want to just understand what's happening sort of from a security posture. So it might be anything from compliance to, you know, just ensuring that, you know, all the sort of legions of developers and QA folks and everybody else is sort of not making any honest mistakes could, could actually result in something more severe than just a misconfiguration, uh, you know, breach or account takeover, that type of thing. So um, looking at it from this standpoint, what you're actually seeing here is a view of the AWS uh, app um, running on Splunk. And, you know, the idea here is that you can look at things like, you know, specific parameters within your VPC resources, like, you know, are you even using ACLs? Why am I seeing modifications there? Um, what are, you know, maybe there's some sudden change in the number of security groups or, uh, you know, S3 buckets are, you know, misconfigured for just open access, that type of thing. So again, it's, it's, it's just looking at it from sort of basic posture, which then helps you understand, okay, how can I do more investigative? Uh, what do I need to dive into to understand deeper? You know, maybe uh, it's, you know, something that warrants a deeper investigation uh, that you might not have caught, you know, just kind of if you weren't paying attention to it. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to do too much detail because, again, I'm just sort of here to introduce the hub folks, but uh, I wanted to kind of highlight that. And then, of course, the, the, the main thing is that the migration monitoring is um, kind of at the service level. It's also very important because these service owners may be looking to, you know, uh, ensure continuity, and then even, you know, they have a plan, so you can still trust the plan, but, you know, you want to continuously sort of verify that using real-time confirmation and, you know, different checks. Um, and, you know, this also allows you, you know, that third bullet says, resolve migration problems without any service customers finding out about them. I mean, we're not trying to be <laughs> underhanded here. It's just more that you're making sure that, you know, you're on top of it and you can really respond quickly before it becomes a real issue. So... With that, I will hand it back over to the Hub team, and uh, yeah, let's just give them a warm round of applause. Welcome, nice to being here. Thank you. Thank you. Afternoon, everybody. So, who are we? So, I'm Seth Morrell, Vice President of Architecture and Engineering at Hub International. I've been part of Hub since February of 2017. I've held a lot of different positions in large enterprises, and uh, I was brought into Hub to help with a cloud transformation and help inject some enterprise thinking into, into Hub as we're growing rapidly and really need to start thinking big. Jeremy, you want to introduce yourself? Yep. I'm Jeremy Mbalabala. I'm the Director of Security Architecture and Engineering at Hub International. Uh, I started in March of 2017 at Hub, and I was brought in to help build a security program, kind of from the ground up, that was non-existent previously. Yep. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. All right, so who is Hub? So Hub is an insurance brokerage based in the U.S. with operations in the U.S. and Canada. We have over $2 billion worth of revenue, 500 plus offices, 
Uh, we're private equity backed. Uh, we're 12,000 plus employees. That number is important because when I started back in February of 2017, we were barely at 10,000. We've grown quite a bit and can continue to grow. And so our migration to cloud and, and the things that we're going to talk about today are becoming more and more important, you know, the little larger that we get. So our growth is based on continuous transformation. So this top left goal that, that Hub has is uh, driving revenue and organic growth through mergers and acquisitions. So, uh, you know, we grow as companies normally grow. We, we make money, but then our, one of our primary uh, revenue targets or revenue methods is through acquisition. So uh, when we say acquisition, we're fairly serious. In 2017, we completed over 50. In 2018, we're on target to do near 70. And so when you're bringing all these organizations in, one of the things that we're trying to do here in the second goal is to try to standardize on processes and procedures and essentially attain operational efficiency. As you can imagine, if there's one way to do things, we, we find companies will have eight ways of, of doing the same thing. And so we're trying to standardize on our processes and just to improve how we operate. One of the other things that we're trying to do from a transformation perspective is build a best-in-class technology strategy with cloud-first mandate. So anytime we think of something new, we try to just automatically respond with the word cloud. Um, we're also heavy into data analytics. Uh, we're using it to make better business decisions, make them faster, higher quality, et cetera. And then from a security perspective, they're kind of the bottom, bottom set, of, set of goals. We're in a highly regulated industry. There's a lot of compliance and, and regulations that we have to meet. And our clients sometimes have things above and beyond that that we have to meet. So we work hard. Jeremy's team works hard to try to be as proactive as possible to stay ahead of what the regulatory agencies will require and what our clients are expecting. Also from a security perspective, we're continuously improving our ability to detect and remediate issues before they cause an impact to, to the business. And Jeremy will provide more detail on that here later on. All right, so I'm here to really set context as to as far as our cloud journey is concerned. So why did we go to cloud? Well, it's mainly these reasons. Uh, core competencies, uh, we're an insurance company, we're not a data center company. So we wanted to be able to shift our efforts away from you know, legacy aspects of managing a data center, being able to focus a lot of our IT horsepower onto business problems. Environment visibility, as you can imagine, all those acquisitions were bringing a lot of stuff in. Over time, it was getting harder and harder for us to keep track of what was what, who had what, how things were managed. And so we wanted to be able to start off with a clean slate and take advantage of some native cloud capabilities and be able to really track and manage and tag what we were putting into our environment. The middle item here, support M&A efforts. So this, this is a big one. So the, the faster we can integrate an acquisition, the better for everybody. The acquisitions customers can gain access to a larger portfolio of capabilities that hubs bring, the hub brings. Uh, we're able to have the acquired company into the fold much more quickly as a result of moving to cloud. And of course, we're able to realize the revenue more quickly. So the faster we can bring an acquisition on board, everyone wins. Cloud gives us that capability. Before, you would have to order hardware, wait for it to show up, move it from the dock, unbox it, rack it, stack it, configure it, et cetera. Now we fire up what we need almost instantaneously, copy the data, and we're off to the races. Extensibility is also important as well. So insurance is an industry built on relationships. And so having the ability to more easily share data, 
co-develop solutions with third parties uh, on a cloud platform is an important strategic uh, vision for our organization. On the top right there, agility. So one of the things that we're really excited about our move to cloud with is gaining access to technology and concepts that we normally would probably not invest in. If we were doing it ourselves, that's a three to five year investment, it takes a long time to recoup that. With cloud, we can try new things. If we don't like it, we can stop using it. We can take advantage of what AWS is bringing to the market and be able to take advantage of it ourselves. And finally, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, unlocking IT. We wanna be able to take that time that our folks are spending keeping lights green, not have to worry about that anymore and, and doing more to add business value, come up with new solutions. So this is why our main motivation is to go to cloud. It was never a cost play. So our journey to cloud is essentially a, a three-year one. So it started off in late 2016 where a business case was developed. Essentially, we identified that there was a savings opportunity from a network perspective that if we could achieve those savings, we could fund a transformation into cloud and pay for the ongoing cloud cost. So fall of 2016, time was spent building that business case and essentially identifying a, a set of initiatives that were going to be called the overall cloud program. So early in 2017, the business case was reviewed and approved. We started moving things over. Office 365, Dynamics, CRM, one of our most critical applications is Applied Epic. We moved that from our data center to their private cloud. We were already a Workday customer. We were already an Oracle cloud customer. We basically just started moving things out of our data center to SaaS platforms or private clouds where possible. And that left kind of two big chunks of workloads within our data center that we wanted to work on. We had our data center applications and then our end user computing environment. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on the end user computing environment right now, mainly because that journey is really starting for us as we speak in really the first half of 2019. I'll spend most of the time talking about our data center applications. But so what we did was in 2017, uh, I was hired on February. We had to pick a cloud platform. We picked AWS. One reason is I'm here. Uh, we started our design process in May of 2017. Build was kind of in the summer of 2017, and really migration started there late summer, early fall of 2017. And that migration process, that data center evacuation for our applications, essentially went through that's late summer of 2017 up through October of 2018. Our original goal was to be done by June 2018. We almost hit that target. October is close enough. As you can see here, we're prepare also preparing for our migration of our VDI environment. So about 90% of our user base uses Citrix to perform their day-to-day -day work. We're gonna be moving that from our data center into the cloud as well. All right, so how did we do it? This looks like a pretty generic consulting slide. We, have, we designed, we build, we, we migrated, right? Okay, good, great, wonderful. How are we special? How are we different? Well. Um, it really comes down to a, a few items. Some of them represented here by the arrows and, and that security bar. So uh, from a design perspective, we went into it knowing that we don't really know what the heck we're doing. We're relying a lot on some great external consulting partners, but we also know along the way that things are going to change. So we weren't married to the design, nothing was sacred. So the design evolved quite a bit and that helped Overall, there wasn't a lot of resistance to change because we went into the whole process knowing that, guess what? What we went in with is probably gonna be a lot different than what we come out with. Um, 
from, from a overall kind of theme perspective, one of the things that we tried to kind of keep as a core was perfection is the enemy of progress. And what that meant was we essentially were lifting, shift, lifting and shifting our workloads from our data center to AWS with very little remediation. Despite how aggravating from an IT, per, IT engineer perspective that can be, we didn't want to spend a lot of time retooling because that would just add time to the project and it would also delay our, the benefits we were trying to achieve with our cloud migration. So we kind of had that as a mantra that perfection was the enemy of progress and just look for ways to continuously move forward. And that goes to this fail, learn, and iterate line. So there wasn't a day that went past where we had two or three issues, some of them show-stopping type issues when it came to our cloud migration. But we were open to learning, we were open to resistance, we were open to some controlled risk, failing at some things, learning and incorporating and continuously improving. The team overall did an excellent job of just persevering, keeping their heads up, and just continuing moving forward. We didn't look for excuses. We looked for opportunities to move, move things along. Every time a rock was thrown in our way, we figured out a way over, under it, through it, what have you. Uh, and we were very open to, hey, you know, we touched something. We got shocked. Okay, why did we get shocked? Let's incorporate those learnings. Let's try again and just keep, continue moving forward. And then that last bar there at the bottom, security. So Jeremy, who had just joined the company in March of 2017, I had just joined the, co joined the company in February of 2017, when we started our design in May of that year, day one, Jeremy from security was there. Our CISO was there. I, I was there, my team was there. We started the project off operating as one team. It wasn't security operating in an ivory tower, building binders of policies and procedures. It wasn't my team off tinkering with the nuts and bolts and coming up with something shiny. It was a collective, collaborative effort from the get-go with security in mind from day one. Security is throughout our entire design, our build process, our migration process, and it was done so in a collaborative manner so that we could achieve increased security objectives while still maintaining the speed that we needed to achieve our overall cloud goals. So that was very important on the how. Overall, throughout the entire journey, to use another consulting term, it was a one-team effort. There was a lot of give and take. There were times where we wanted something and Jeremy's team wanted something else, but we always figure out ways to, to make it work so everyone walked away from a challenging situation feeling like, hey, we were able to, able to move forward and we're all trying to support the same goal of enabling cloud technology for Hub International. So what worked, what did not? So I've talked quite a bit about collaboration. Collaboration went even beyond my team, the security team, it was the app teams, it was third parties, it was consultants, it was vendors. Everybody had a vested interest in, in, in seeing us and our success. And, and having that positive attitude and having that collaborative attitude and not building walls, not building silos was was critical throughout because we were challenged. We were, we were thrown many curveballs throughout the entire process and if we didn't have that collaborative attitude and that overall collaborative team, we, we would have been struggling. Our AWS partnership. So I had never worked with AWS. In fact, I think the only person in the organization who had any experience with AWS at the time was Jeremy. Uh, 
So we all kind of went into the AWS platform a little bit green. We didn't know what to expect. I had heard good things, I'd read good things, I talked to folks, all heard positive things, but until you experience it firsthand, you don't know. Well, AWS has been amazing. They were incredibly helpful during our design, during our build, during the migration, and even now with support. Uh, there were several opportunities uh, for us to fail. AWS always stepped up, tried to, tried to come up with creative solutions, connect us with partners where maybe if there wasn't a native solution, they're able to say, hey, there's a marketplace solution that might work. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a great, great story, and I've been very happy overall with the, with the partnership. One of the other things that we did during our process was a just-in-time discovery. We did not spend months with spreadsheets and CMDBs trying to get every bit of detail known to, known to person kind uh, about our applications. We essentially had a decent amount of data as far as what was in our data center. We started off with that list and then we built a questionnaire of what's needed to actually perform the migration. Let's keep the questionnaire simple. We don't want to intimidate people with a 45-page Excel spreadsheet for every nuance. We essentially had a small one-pager Excel spreadsheet that gave us all the information we needed for a migration. Early on, there were some things we missed, but again, we, we learned from that, we incorporated that into our questions, and we essentially were building the train track in front of us as we were going along. So it, one of the big advantages that gave us was an application's nuances, its needs, were fresh in the team's mind as we were migrating. We weren't looking at data that was six months old and possibly outdated. It was something that the team was very familiar with, and we were able to leverage that, and that probably actually helped us improve the quality and maintain the speed of our migration. And then finally, the fail, learn, iterate. We were open to challenges. We were open to realizing, hey, we could have done something different. We didn't know that. Oh, there's an easier way to do that. Good, great, wonderful. We were able to take that, incorporate that into our, our processes and just continuously improve. It got to the point where I never actually had to worry about migrations because I knew the team, even if they ran to a challenge, would figure it out, figure out how to incorporate it and avoid that challenge the next time around. What didn't work out? Several things. Uh, app ownership was a challenge. So as you can imagine, being the highly acquisitive company that we are, sometimes finding an app owner was challenging. Uh, if, if an app owner existed, or they may just know, I don't know, it's just an icon on my desktop, right? You know, sometimes that was the level of, of knowledge we were able to extract. And so for quite a few times, we just kind of took a risk and migrated and hoped for the best. Um, and most of the time it worked out, other times it didn't, but then that's where that collaborative attitude came in and everyone jumped in to figure out, okay, why isn't this working? Is it a firewall rule? Is it a configuration? Is it a Windows Server problem? So but app ownership was a challenge and we knew that going in with our just-in-time discovery process that without doing that exhaustive search, we're gonna run into some challenges, but we worked through it. SQL, so we're a big Microsoft SQL shop. The way we did it on-premise, not the way it should work from an Amazon perspective, mainly from a licensing perspective. Licensing and density. So in fall of 2017, we actually started running out of things to migrate because we weren't sure how we could migrate effectively our Microsoft SQL workloads over to AWS without incurring ridiculous licensing costs if we were to do it the same way we did it on-premise. So there's a scenario where everyone jumped in. We had consulting partners, AWS, Microsoft, Everyone jumped in to help us figure out how do we kind of crack this nut that is the licensing conundrum to make sure that we're in good shape and our SQL workloads perform the way they need to perform as we move to the cloud. 
basically we had to reverse engineer, reverse engineer everything that we did on-premise, re-engineer it for the cloud, but we were able to, to get through that. SMB, so I mentioned that VDI environment. So one of the things we learned early on is we have a lot of SMB applications. And when you move that application from Chicago to US East and add 25 to 30 milliseconds of latency, but your VDI desktop is still in Chicago, some SMB applications don't like that. So we were near a show-stopping scenario, and this is again where AWS was able to bring a marketplace solution to bear that solved most of our SMB performance issues. We still actually have a few SMB applications that have to stay in the data center because they just need to be that close to the end user computing environment. We will move those when we move end user computing, but that, that was a possible show-stopping scenario, but that's where the Amazon partnership really, really helped us out. And then this bottom right one, traditional vendors. So we didn't have a lot of time to spend with RFIs, RFPs, looking at all the possible tools for the various functions that we would want to take advantage of. So we relied on the vendor relationships we already had in the data center and wanted to use their cloud version of their same capabilities. That worked out most of the time. However, a few of the traditional vendors, their cloud solutions are not as mature as we had hoped. And so we ran into some challenges there where it just either didn't work or there was like one person in the organization who actually knew how the cloud piece worked. And so that was a struggle. Uh, it caused a lot of, lot, lot, of, lot of stress, but nevertheless, we, we got through it and everyone is, is, is for the better. And all of this work resulted in, so we were able to successfully migrate 380 plus virtual machines. Uh, we were able to decommission 800 plus VMs. And that's basically because we were able to shine a light on our existing environment, ask some challenging questions, and say, do you really need this? Is this something you're willing to have the company pay for? And we got a lot of answers like, oh no, I don't need that anymore. And so what that did was it helped free up capacity in our data center so we could start moving things around and optimize our data center footprint that was still there, as well as just be able to start shutting things down. So all in all, you know, project has been successful. We're starting kind of chapter two with our end user computing environment here soon. Uh, but Jeremy's gonna spend some time talking about our security program and how Splunk was a part of our, our AWS environment from the get-go. So I'm gonna hand it over to Jeremy. Thanks, Seth. So Seth talked about growth and how transformation is a, is a, is a large part of Hub's growth strategy. Um, you know, we had multiple initiatives kind of kicked off at the same time with regard to IT infrastructure, business operations and process optimization, data capability, M&A capability, and security capability. So like I said, I joined Hub early 2017 um, and there really was no security program. We had some antivirus, some security policies, and open DNS. That was the extent of what we had. Um, you know, so our organization views security as a, as a business driver, not just a cost center. Uh, with our, our high rates of M&A, our, our high growth rate, we really needed to put a security program in very, very quickly. We didn't really have time to, to spend a lot of time building a program, so we had to look for things that we could do to provide value and enable some of the other initiatives the business was doing um, and get that done in a, in a pretty short time. So we implemented a full security program in one year. Um, normally, this would be a two to two and a half year build. We started out identifying our data, what data we had in our environment. Uh, we're in a highly regulated industry, as Seth alluded to, um, so we have PCI, HIPAA, 
and, and you know, actually some financial data as well that we have to worry about. So identifying that data is kind of the first key to being able to protect that data. We brought in advanced threat protection for our endpoints on our servers to be able to understand if we had any threats in the environment, uh, as well as to be able to help us detect threats in the future. We brought in web and email security gateways to be able to protect our users from external threats. And we brought in a 24-7 security operations center to monitor our environments. And then lastly, we began at the end of last year a governance, risk, and compliance program. So as we're building out the security program, we're moving to AWS. And that provides new and unique challenges, right? So infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, they have different cost structures than on-premise uh, resources. So you move from an OPEX-heavy model to a CAPEX-heavy model. And that flexibility brings increased risk from misconfigured resources and infrastructure. Mistakes are easier to make. You hit the big red button a lot easier in the cloud than you can on-prem. Well, one misclick and you've, you've deleted you know, Palo Alto Firewall and AWS, where on on-premise data center, it's a physical device. It's not really that simple. So we have you know, another risk area. We have multiple teams working in a shared pool of resources. It's no longer just a server team. You've got app teams, infrastructure teams, SQL teams, uh, testers, QA folks, everybody all working in the same environment. And, and it's not just the guys in the data center anymore. How do you secure apps and data in the cloud? Everybody's always afraid about moving to the cloud. We don't understand. We don't know where the data is. We move, we move these applications, these workloads outside of our four walls to some other place. We know it's on the East Coast or the West Coast or somewhere, but we don't really know where it is, right? So that makes people uncomfortable. So these risks can bring reluctance to move into the cloud. But if you bake in security, visibility, and controls at the core of the environment, you can mitigate these risks and be comfortable, which is what we were able to do. So why do we choose Splunk and AWS? Well, both Splunk and AWS provide effective flexibility and scalability that can grow and change as hub grows. They really do complement one another. Both gave us security capability that we didn't have before, visibility and granular control into events, changes, and traffic flow. There's, both, there's great communities for both platforms or both companies uh, around support, knowledge, and integrations. So what are we doing with Splunk? So we use Splunk for our security operations center. As security operations centers are highly dependent on SIM, which is security information and event management platforms. It's critical for detecting and alerting on anomalies and security threats in the environment. It's a, it's a very critical, SIM is a very critical piece of any information security program. The problem with SIM is that building a SIM and tuning a SIM takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's difficult to get right in a short amount of time, extremely difficult. Um, you know, a good example of where that can go wrong, that there was uh, several years ago a highly publicized breach related to a U major U.S. brick-and-mortar retailer uh, that was compromised, and they actually had detected the compromise and the alerts that were coming into their environment, uh, but they were unable to, to, to understand what they were seeing because their, their uh, systems weren't really tuned, so there was, there was too much noise coming in. So tuning and, and making sure that you have your, your SIM uh, performing well is really, really critical. It can be a detriment to you if you don't do that. So due to our rapid pipeline, you know, we, how are we gonna get a SIM and how are we gonna get it done quickly and get it done right? Um, you know, we didn't really have time to spend two years, three years building out a SIM and tuning it. So we partnered with an MSSP to build and manage our SIM. So they not only provided the initial implementation and initial tuning, but they provide ongoing tuning maintenance and support for us 
And that same partner also provides our 24-7 security operations monitoring. We also didn't really have time uh, in a year to be able to, to hire uh, security analysts, build out a SOC, build all the playbooks, build everything from scratch. So we, we work with an established partner uh, that provided a lot of value for us. So Splunk can do a lot of things, but we're focused mainly on security, on SIM. Uh, we're using the, the Splunk Enterprise Security Module uh, as, as our SIM. Uh, there's also other benefits that the Splunk can provide, and we're looking to kind of expand that in the future with our infrastructure teams, our operations teams, some of the app teams. So provide them with not only security-relevant data, but also consume and ingest some other data sources that may not be security-specific. So this is our design for Splunk. And Splunk really has two, two main architectures. There's Splunk Cloud and there's Splunk On-Prem. And folks always ask me, Jeremy, what are you using? Are you using Splunk in the cloud or Splunk on-prem? And I say, well, it's both. We're not using Splunk cloud, but we're using Splunk on-prem in the cloud. So our partner, MSSP partner, has an AWS account where our search head for Splunk and our indexes are located. Um, and we have the forwarders located on our on-premise data center as well as our AWS accounts. We have many, many accounts. I'm sure many of you do as well. Um, and we have VPN connectivity between our MSSP and our data centers. Uh, we do have a direct connect for, between our on-premise data center and AWS today. So how do we integrate AWS with Splunk? So we have some very specific data sources that we're interested in uh, related to, to AWS, VPC, specifically VPC flow log data, EC2 information, S3 logs, IAM logs, IAM activity, et cetera. We would capture those events via AWS Config, CloudWatch, and CloudTrail. And they're shipped to Splunk via SQS, SNS, uh, and Kinesis, as well as the Amazon API. Splunk then consumes and ingests the source data, presents data via Splunk applications, such as the Splunk app for AWS, which we saw a little bit earlier, uh, as well as some other dashboards and other applications. So there's a, there's a, the Splunk community has a very large amount of not only uh, open source custom applications, but all the integration partners also have their own applications. AWS has a very robust uh, application set that, that uh, works with Splunk very well. So this data then becomes available for other uses, including threat detection and identification. So now we have this environment, this AWS environment data streaming into Splunk, parsed and indexed. We can do fun things with it, like threat detection, threat hunting. So this is Sine's pyramid. The bottom of the pyramid, we have correlation. Correlation of data from one data source to another data source, or more usefully, from one data source to many data sources. Move farther up the pyramid, once you have correlated events, you have to understand those events. Otherwise, you just have events, so you have analysis. Analysis means works. Work. It's work to understand what those events mean. You move up the chain even farther, you get to threat hunting. This is really where you become proactive looking for threats in your environment as opposed to being reactive all the time. This is even more work than analysis. As you move up the pyramid, you increase complexity, cost, but you also gain efficacy. So what's threat hunting? So this is the threat hunting loop. It starts with creating hypotheses. Those hypotheses you can then investigate via tools and techniques that are in your security stack, Splunk would be one of those tools. That allow you to uncover new patterns, tactics, techniques, and procedures that the attackers are using against your environment. 
You could then enrich that data by informing yourself through the analytics and be able to then influence your original hypothesis, modify those hypotheses, or hopefully inspire and create new hypotheses. So the data sources that we're ingesting from AWS mainly around, center around change logs, login activity, storage logs, some performance telemetry, but most importantly, the highest volume would be the network activity related to VPC flow logs. The data is then is indexed, correlated, and we provide alerts to our SOC. So this, the, the VPC flow logs are by far the largest volume and the hardest for us to deal with. So, why do we, so how, do we, how do we consume these, these logs into Splunk? Well, we use Amazon Kinesis data streams to do that. Why, why Kinesis versus SQS? Well, SQS is queue-based. Kinesis gives us near real-time data streaming into Splunk. Kinesis provides ordering. Ordering is extremely important when you're looking at network data for threat correlation. Kinesis also provides message receipt acknowledgement. So think about TCP and UDP, right? TCP, the sender doesn't get a response back saying that you received the packet, it's gonna retransmit the packet. Whereas UDP, it's just gonna keep sending packets, right? So it's very important for us to be able to understand and have context that we receive all of the information and context around that communication that took place with some external source. So ha having the ordering and having the ability to acknowledge that we received all of the messages, we have all the information we need to act on is very important. Kinesis provides that for us. And finally, SQS has relatively low read-write limits. Kinesis doesn't really have that problem. It could support much more data. So now that we have this data, specifically flow data, probably our most valuable set of data, by volume anyway, what are we gonna do with it? So let's enrich it and make it more meaningful, make it more meaningful to our security program. So we use a third-party threat intelligence aggregator to provide us information about real-world threats that have been observed by other organizations uh, in our industry, by the government, uh, security companies, and they provide us threat bulletins. These, these threat bulletins come in uh, via sticks and taxi feeds, so, uh, which are open standards for indicators of compromise. So sticks is, is, a, is really the format, it's a structured data format for indicators of compromise. And Taxi is an application layer transport protocol that allows those indicators of compromise to be uh, received and sent to Splunk. These indicators, or this, these threat bulletins contain both context, sometimes there's actor, threat actor information or attribution if that can be attained, uh, but most importantly would be the indicators of compromise. So we stream and import these into Splunk via, like I said, a third party threat intelligence aggregator and this correlation allows us to provide high-quality, high-confidence incidents. Here's an example of, of a, a dashboard in Splunk for the uh, Splunk app for AWS. And this is a, just a snapshot in time of uh, our, our security groups across all of our accounts. So you can actually filter this down to a specific account or a specific region or a specific set of security groups if you'd like to. Uh, or by tags even. Um, but it's kind of nice to be able to kind of see as an aggregate level, hey, this is what we have in our environment. So at the top left, we have the number of security groups that were there at this point in time. Next to that, the number of rules in those security groups. And then it also gives the ability to kind of summarize changes in the environment, understand what changes are taking place, 
right? Are we having changes, ads, deletes to security groups? And, and is, this, is this normal or are we, you know, we making a lot of changes that maybe we shouldn't be making? Just kind of give you a bird's eye view of what's going on in the environment. Also, can I kind of help you identify unused security groups that you, that you might want to clean up? Unused security groups are, are uh, dangerous because they can get applied accidentally to, to resources that uh, may be more permissive than you want. So it's, 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 it's generally good to make sure you keep that stuff clean. Once again, and all, these, all these items are contextual, so you can actually click on all these items and drill down for additional context and detail. So while this is a static screenshot of a, of a dashboard at a point in time, you can actually click on any one of these items and drill down and get really, really high-level detail, or really uh, minute detail on each one of those items. So here's the dashboard of VPC flow logs, also from the Splunk app for AWS. On the left, it kind of highlights our accepted versus rejected traffic by traffic volume. Uh, on the right, it actually kind of it will also show accepted or rejected traffic by geographic, geographic location, which is really important for our security. The bottom we, left, we can see top rejected destination ports uh, expresses a ratio of, of accepted versus rejects, which is this great context for when you're building anomaly detection models. Right? You can key off of, if we see this ratio get high, of dropped packets, rejected packets be a lot higher than normal, hey, maybe we should kick in and dig in a little more detail and see what's going on. On the right side, we have top rejected source IPs. The source IPs are, are uh, whited out. There was actually a misconfigured application in the environment on the, on the app side, and so we didn't want to expose what those IPs were. But um, it, it could actually help you detect both, uh, not just security information or security threats, but also help you detect misconfigured applications in the environment and see where you may have issues, performance issues, because you have drops happening. Once again, all contextual, you can pivot down and drill in as much detail as you'd like to. So this is an example of Splunk's search and query, kind of the, the raw search. Here we're looking at some AWS CloudTrail logs. And the, the query language is pretty, it's pretty easy. If you're familiar with Elasticsearch, this will, this will make sense to you. Um, but it's really just normal logic Boolean, Boolean query, ands, ors put stuff in parentheses and brackets and you're good to go. Logs are parsed when they come in, so it kind of helps uh, more meaningful when you search. So think about searching a big log file that you open in Notepad or Notepad++ and you're trying to look through big, big, giant blobs of text. All the logs that come in are parsed and cut up into fields that make sense that are mapped, so it makes it really easy. And you see only the context or information that you're looking for when you're searching. And these fields are also pre-indexed, so searching is much, much quicker. This is helpful not just for threat hunting or for security purposes, but also can provide a big benefit for troubleshooting to the infrastructure IT teams. So here's the dashboard from our third-party threat intelligence platform. So they also have an app for Splunk. Uh, we have over a dozen different curated threat feeds that are aggregated into Splunk, providing indicators of compromise for us. So this here is a one-hour snapshot. So the top left corner, the 621,000, you can see at this point in time, we had 621,000 active indicators of compromise that we were correlating against our environment. Uh, next to that, in this one hour, we received almost 5,000 new indicators from our threat, our, threat, uh, our threat feeds that were able to provide us insight into our, what was going on. Next to that, you can see we had 122 uh, outbound events matches against those indicators. So those are items that our security operations team uh, had to kind of chase down and see, well, what is this going on? And it provides a nice little uptick so we can see there was a 35% spike from the previous hour. So there was a big jump in outbound activities. So maybe there was a malware outbreak that took place at that time. 
So if you look at the, the bottom right, we have the threat indicator matches uh, to provide a, provide a source and destination IPs, uh, the age of the event. So it starts at zero days to make it, make it easy so analysts aren't trying to calculate dates and times back in their head. Um, it'll provide the source feed where the indicator of compromise came from. And you'll see here that at the, at the top event there, there's multiple, multiple feeds that were associated with that event. That helps provide us a higher level of confidence if we have six different threat feeds that are telling us, hey, we all see the same bad thing happening here, then it's gonna get a much higher confidence level. And then we also assign a severity level to events. We have different playbooks, different, different courses of action for different levels of severity that our analysts would take. So what did we learn during our, our journey with security and moving to AWS? Specifically with Splunk, well, we learned that we should use IAM roles instead of AWS access keys to integrate with Splunk. We have like I said, some compliance regulations and those require access keys to be rotated every 90 days. So we can offload that and I have to rotate those keys across multiple accounts on a regular basis by trusting an account in our, in our MSSP's environment via IAM role. We had a lot, harder, lot larger volume of BPC flow data than we originally anticipated. We had previously very little, uh, not really any insight into our, our east-west or north-south network traffic, so we didn't really know what the volume we were gonna see uh, once we moved applications over, and we grossly underestimated the size of, of BPC flow data that was coming in. So make sure your indexers for Splunk have enough horsepower to handle that, or you're gonna, you will suffer uh, some query, query search time issues. Also understand the licensing impact. Make sure you do that analysis up front. Don't learn the hard way, having to go back and beg for money to be able to true up and, and account for the, uh, the, the increased number of traffic. Definitely invest in a third-party threat intelligence platform. Um, it's great to have all that data in, in Splunk without, without the threat intelligence. I mean, it's still there. You can still do troubleshooting. You can, there's a lot of value there. But from a security side, you get a, really, a lot more value by being able to to go up that threat hunting pyramid and do that correlation and analysis and hopefully eventually get to threat hunting. Use the Splunk app for AWS that we talked about. There's uh, features in there to help you very easily identify misconfigurations in the environment and provide some greater insights into billing. So our roadmap, what are we gonna do next? We'd like to do SOC automation to be able to do some of that analysis on that pyramid automatically without having to have our, our analysts do all that work manually today. Right, and that'll free up a lot of their time. And then with their time, they can actually spend time doing proactive threat hunting instead of being reactionary as we are today. Right, so being able to, to drive some automation now that we have all this data is really, really critical for us. We'd like to get into exploring microservices more, containers and transient workloads, and being able to protect those. As you can imagine, there's a new set of challenges that come with securing microservices, containers, and transient workloads. We do a lot of M&As, so we're not moving all of our data. We acquire a company to S3, as opposed to moving it to our on-premise data center. And we don't, we don't really know what those applications are or what, those, what, the, what data those companies we acquire have. You know, they may know, they may not know. They may tell us what this data is, but it, it may not be right. So in order for us to protect that data appropriately and understand where it needs to go from a, from a zoning perspective in our environment, we need to classify that data. So we're exploring using Macy data classification on AWS to be able to provide some data classification for us while that data is in S3 temporarily before we move it to its final landing zone in AWS. And lastly, enterprise monitoring. 
I said, we want to open up and use Splunk more uh, beyond just the security use cases that we have today and be able to help empower our app teams, our database teams, infrastructure network teams, and be able to provide them some, uh, the ability to have logs and information and the search capabilities and dashboard that Splunk has beyond just security. With that, we'll open it up for questions. Okay, thank you so much. So, um, in a nutshell, you know, depending on where you are, and that was a great story, and depending on where you are in your kind of journey and from a security standpoint, your migration, you know, there's something we can do for you. I'll take any <clears throat> questions. Um, if people have any specifics they want to get into. Yes, in the back. Do you want to repeat the question for the sake of the yeah. audio? Yeah. So uh, I apologize, we don't have mics here. That, but um, so can you can you repeat your first question so I can repeat it back for the, the audio? So, okay. So the first question is how how did they have the capacity to chase down all the threats that they were showing in the SOC? Yep. So number one, it's it's. We rely on, heavily on our, our partner, MSSP partner, to provide that tier one, tier two uh, resolution that really takes a lot of time to be able to kind of to filter those things and kick off events to us. Uh, we have a small team of analysts in-house on staff, so we, we rely very, very heavily on that, that partner. If we didn't have that partner, uh, we'd have another eight to 10 bodies uh, on, on staff to be able to try to handle that, that volume. Uh, and, and coupled with that, it's, it's continual chasing, tuning, uh, being able to drive down the false positives, um, you, you know, understanding so severity levels also helps play a factor. So we see a lot of the, as you saw, we had a lot more inbound matches than we did outbound matches. So those would have a lower priority for us since we're going to rely on our Amazon security groups and our IPS that we have in place in line to be able to block a lot of that stuff. So we would prioritize the outbound events first. Second part of the question, again. Uh, the the cost-benefit. Yeah, essentially we had a waterline of what our budget was in 2016, and when we identified that, hey, we could save a lot of money by changing how we, our network provider and how we deliver our network, rather than actually just saving that money, we said, no, we're not giving that money back, we're going to take that money and apply it to the cloud transformation as well as the OpEx run cost of the cloud itself. So our waterline stayed the same from a cost center perspective. But we were able to take that money and essentially reinvest it into the capability that the cloud got us. So we knew going in that, hey, it's going to cost us money, but from a corporate accounting perspective, IT is still coming in at, at, at the same cost. It did take a lot of work up front to estimate, hey, you have X number of workloads on-prem. That translates into wide workloads in the cloud. Does the math actually work? validate that throughout the journey to make sure everything is, is, is indeed okay, and it, it's worked out. Other questions uh, right here? Yeah. Organizationally, where does Splunk sit? Is it sitting in InfoSec, or is it in monitoring organization? Where is it? So it's an InfoSec. I, yeah. yeah, so it comes out of the InfoSec budget, something that, that we handle. 
Um, but we're working with, with Seth's team to, to understand how we can uh, you know, share some responsibility for you know, not only the, the, the financial side of it, but the stewardship and, and be able to provide the value they need. Because our, our, our contract with our MSSP is also tied to uh, the monitoring of that environment. So if we're going to ingest you know, two or three times the data that's coming in for uh, performance enterprise monitoring or other, other uses, application uses, uh, we don't want to pay the, them to be able to monitor that stuff. So we're kind of working those things out, but today it's an infosec. Uh, back there, please. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I thought I we'd like to. We're not. We're not today. But that's something that's a. That's a future thing for us. The, the, the question was whether you can offer the Splunk as a sort of service to the application teams, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, back there. The, yeah. the question was, do, are the VPC flow logs the only data source you fed into Splunk, right? Yeah, for, for Kinesis, it's only for, the VPC flow logs. Okay. The rest of them are pulling the SQS, SNS, or API. Uh, this gentleman here has a question. The question is about SOX compliance, specific to your industry. Are you also using Splunk there? We're not, we're not doing that today. Our primary focus today is on SIM and being able to provide value for the SOX. So, um, so we're building out the whole governance compliance program. We hired a team. Um, they're bringing tools in for GRC, um, and, but that's, that's a separate effort. One right here. Please. The question is about the ephemeral nature of cloud versus prem. How much retooling was needed to be done to the Splunk deployment? Yeah, so so our the the, the Splunk cloud product, uh, you could talk about this probably more than, than I can. Uh, doesn't have the the same level of, of feature parity that the enterprise version has. The enterprise version is very robust, been around for a long time, and that's frankly what our MSSP partner uses. Um, so we didn't really lose anything moving to to to, to Splunk's cloud product. Really is a uh, and ease of use and deployment, um, but we, with our flexibility, our kind of our hybrid, our hybrid situation, um, it makes sense for us to use the on-prem. There's a question right here. I had a question about. Uh, you had two points about Splunk that I think are interesting. One is you said don't make your indexers underpowered, and the second was something about cost. Like don't be surprised that you know indexers cost money. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So. Our experience was that we, we didn't have any visibility into network data uh, initially before we moved. So we didn't really have a good way to, uh, to understand or estimate the amount of VPC flow logs and network data we were going to be having coming in. So the problem that we had that we experienced uh, was the fact that we didn't have that knowledge and we undersized. We undersized both the indexers and the licensing. Um, so if, my point is just that if, make sure you get those things right. Spend the, the diligence that we didn't spend on those, uh, those things up front, and you'll save yourself the headaches that we had to endure. Uh, I thought I saw another one. 
Okay. Well, um, thank you so much again, Jeremy and Seth, and thank you all for being here. And uh, definitely stop by the Splunk booth if you have time and you want to uh, ask our experts any more questions related to migration, security, just Splunk in general. Um, so thank you again. Yeah. Thank you, everybody.